Hello, gentlemen. After this, we will be talking about the source and summit of our faith, the Most Holy Eucharist. Uh, stay with us. Thanks for joining us to another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are your hosts, Sam Guzman and John Heinen. We're grateful that you are here. If this is your first time listening to us, please subscribe so that you can get all of these things. Head over to our website. You can actually join the mailing list in which we send these out every week. If you are watching us on YouTube, please hit that bell button and that like button so that you can help get this to more men. We'd love hearing from you. We'd love your reviews. And um, and just please continue to uh, check us out. You can go into a show description, see a bunch more about The Catholic Gentleman on any podcast player or YouTube player. So today, Sam and I wanted to talk about what the USCCB has launched on the Feast of Corpus Christi last week. Um, they launched the Eucharistic Revival. So if you are unaware of this, it is going to be, I believe, a three-year plan. I'm jumped over to eucharisticrevival.org and that uh, goes through 2024. Okay. So it's going to actually be a two-year um, uh, Eucharistic revival here in America. And Sam and I love the Eucharist and we're trying to love it all the more. And so we just thought, hey, let's, uh, let's connect ourselves to the heart of the church here in America and help men better love the Eucharist, Christ in the Eucharist. So today, that's exactly what we're going to try and do, is we're going to talk through um, potentially seven, if we have time, um, ways that uh, we have used to grow in love of the Eucharist and our appreciation of the Eucharist. And um, if we don't have time, we'll do another episode. So, Absolutely. Yeah, so just jumping right in, I mean, what does the church teach about the Eucharist? I think we have to start there because it is uh, unique among Christian denominations, if you want to call them denominations. Um, the Catholic Church, uh, being the original church, kind of has preserved that apostolic teaching about the Eucharist. So, I, John, why don't we just jump in and talk about what does the church say that about the Eucharist and yeah. how is that different from other Christians believe? Great. Well, Sam alluded to it at the very beginning in uh, the teaser, which is that it is the source and summit of the Christian life, which is what it says in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church teaches that the um, bread and wine are um, transubstantiated into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ in the Eucharist. I'm sorry, of Christ. And so when we receive Christ in the Eucharist, we are receiving his actual body, blood, soul, and divinity. Yes, yeah, and, you know, we, we, it's a, there's a physicality to it, you know, and a lot of other uh, uh, Christians believe something similar, maybe, like, like, for example, Lutherans say, well, Christ is present, like, with the bread and wine, but the bread and wine are still themselves, you know, and things like that. Uh, Anglicans may have a similar take on things. And yet Catholics like kind of have this radical, they take it to an extreme, not an extreme in the sense of untrue, but extreme in that it is true. Um, point where we say the bread and wine are actually gone and it is now Christ, flesh and blood 
his soul and his divinity. It's literally all of Christ in every particle of the Eucharist. That's pretty, that's a pretty strong, bold statement. And if you ever go to Catholic worship, you know, you'll see things like adoration, you know, where the Eucharistic host is placed like in a monstrance and people are kneeling before it and there's like incense. And, and if you don't really believe that it's actually Jesus, all of that stuff would be kind of crazy, you know, just humanly yeah. speaking. Yeah. But we believe it is Christ. We believe it is God incarnate present with us. And so all of that worship flows from that. It flow, you know, the whole life of the church flows from the Eucharist and returns to it. Um, and so that's that's one of the most beautiful mysteries of our faith. Yeah, amen. And there's so much that could be said about that. We can spend a full episode on the church's teaching on the Eucharist. Well, we wanted to start with this section because in order to truly love God, in order to truly live the Eucharist in our own life, we have to understand it, right? We have to know it. And and as, as we both experience, and I believe our listeners have experienced too, the more you know about something, the more you love that thing which you know. So I think about my wife, I think about my kids, right? The stronger that we grow in this love and we stronger that we understand them with knowledge who they are, the dignity that they have, the depths of their life experiences, the more that we can love uh, with them. And so understanding the church's teaching and where the church comes from. And so I think there's a couple of things that I like to talk about in helping men understand where the church comes from. If you have not opened up your Bible, you need to do that. And if you have not opened up your Bible and started with the discernment of where the church gets the teachings on Christ fully present in the body, in the bread and wine, um, I got two things just to scripture to point out. And the first one to start reflecting on is John 6, if you want to start at 22 and go forward, that'd be great. I'm going to just read a little bit from John 6, 53 through 56, because that's really important. We believe that Christ's words are stronger than all material uh, things in this world that he um, transcends and obviously the creator and holds all things into existence. And so when Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So we hear that three times, right, of Christ in just that little section, three times, just hitting up that it is his um, body and his blood. And and then before you jump in, Sam, I wanted to jump to 1 Corinthians, because for men, this is really important. Um, in 1 Corinthians, uh, St. Paul says, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. And so that's uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. And I just, when I read these things, and the point of the episode is not to be apologetic in nature, but when I read these things, in my simple mind, it makes pretty clear sense that what Christ is saying and that uh, this is something we need to take very seriously and that he would be with us until the end of time physically in the Eucharist. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember when I first read John 6 as a Protestant, it like blew my mind. I was like, why has no one told me about this passage? Or like, why has no one 
just, you know, and, and it's funny, a lot of Protestants, like, and I, I know I'm vastly oversimplifying here, but a lot of Protestants will say uh, the Bible is, is, is literal. Uh, every word of the Bible is literal, but then they get the John six and they like trip all over themselves and say, well, it's metaphorical. Uh, everything in that, everything in the Bible is literal, except for John six. Mm-hmm. Uh, then G- Jesus was speaking figuratively there. That was just a weird picture or something, but no, he's very bold. And whenever Christ repeats something three times, you know, he's, he's very, very serious about it. But what does eating the flesh of the son of man mean? I mean, obviously that was like shocking. And a lot of people, a lot of his followers left right after he said that, because like, what is, is he a cannibal or like, what is he talking about? But do you think about the, what, what eating is it's assimilating, it's taking something that's outside you and taking it inside you. And then it becomes part of you. And where, where does that, where does, where does you and that, end and begin, it's very difficult to say because it's been assimilated into your body. Um, and it's likewise, like when we are, when we're talking about salvation and participating in the life of Christ, again, as a Protestant, for me, that was a very abstract intellectual thing. Mm-hmm. Like, here's these statements, like, I am a sinner. Jesus died for sinners. I place my faith in Jesus. Therefore I am saved. And it was just like an intellectual, like, assent to a set of propositions. But when Catholics talk about salvation, there's a physicality to it. There's like a, like Jesus is actually coming inside me and becoming a part of my body, my soul, and transforming me from the inside out. There's a, there's a beautiful tangibility to it that you don't get when, when you're just kind of nodding your head to some faith statements Mm -hmm. Um, it is a literal, physical, spiritual transformation that transforms the whole person by taking Christ into us and assimilating him into us. Uh, I think it was St. Irenaeus, but he, he calls it like the seed of immortality. Yeah. Like this Christ is like coming into us like a seed that will someday bear fruit in our resurrection bodies um, because we literally are participants in his physical body so it's not just metaphors it's not just images when we talk about being part of the body of christ is a literal physical tangibility to it yeah absolutely you know and you so many things are being reminded of but i think um why this is so important for us i i think of archbishop fulton sheen and and i remember hearing a homily of his where he talked about how um, if you look at all the sacraments, right, which is where God is coming down to us, you've got the sacramentals and you've got our prayer, which is us going to God. And you've got the sacraments, which is God coming down to us. He said, if you look at all seven sacraments, you've got six arrows and they're all pointing into the center. And that center is the sacrament of the Eucharist. That's that life. That's that nourishment that God gave us. And it makes so much sense uh, for us as, as individuals who are striving for holiness, be a man, be a saint. We're striving for holiness that to be able to uh, receive Christ um, uh, worthily and frequently um, is, is such an important aspect for us in our growth in holiness day in and day out. And so I think one of the first ways that we can better understand Christ in the Eucharist and better love Christ in the Eucharist and live Christ in the Eucharist is to understand the church's teaching. So I wanted to just mention a couple things and then um, uh, a couple books for our listeners, right? You can find a couple of these for free online, like the Holy Eucharist by St. Alphonsus. You can find that online for free. You can read it. Um, I'll try and put a link in the show notes. You can also read um, St. Peter Julian Amard. Um, I'll probably talk about him 
throughout the episode some more. St. Peter Julian Amard uh, is considered the apostle of the Eucharist. Deep devotion to Our Lady, though, and uh, we'll be talking about that as well. Um, and uh, he wrote a book, our, uh, sorry, Eucharistic Meditations, just a little treatise, and you can find that for free online. Um, you can see Thomas Aquinas. And then finally, be, before we move on to our next point, um, is uh, this is a great book that my parish gave me, and it's called Jesus, Our Eucharistic Love Here. And it's an incredible book that actually just building on the teachings of the saints and like 170 some saints, um, it goes through the beauty and the joy of the Eucharist. So just a couple things that can help you grow in your understanding and knowledge of Christ in the Eucharist. Yeah. Wonderful resources there. And, you know, the saints really typify that love for the Eucharist. That's infectious, you know, uh, love, love kind of begets love and, and, yeah. The more you are around someone who loves the Eucharist uh, or read about them or that, that, that fervor is kind of communicated to you. So, um, but yeah, that kind of leads us to Eucharistic miracles. And that was another thing I, I speak about Protestantism a lot because that was where I came from. And that was another thing for me that was really powerful and convincing was, you know, okay, this is a really bold claim here. This is something that is kind of remind, reminiscent of uh, C.S. Lewis's statements about Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. he's a liar, lunatic, or a Lord, like there's not a lot of wiggle room here. It's either absolutely true or it's insanity. And like, that's kind of how the Eucharist is yeah. where it's like, it's either true or it's idolatry and it's blasphemous or whatever, um, because it's absolutely a bold statement that leaves no room for middle ground. But then when I start, it's like, okay, is there proof for this? Because this is a bold statement. Like I kind of, I'm kind of like doubting Thomas. I like, yeah, I need to like see, see from myself. And, and, and then I started reading about Eucharistic miracles, you know, the, one of the most famous, like the Eucharistic miracle of Lanciano, Italy, but there's many more, um, thousands of them. Um, and one of the more recently canonized, uh, blessed Carlo Acutis or whatever, what, one of his one of the things that he did as a teenager was catalog all the Eucharistic miracles on the oh, website wow. because there's so many of them. Mm -hmm. um, and he wanted to like spread devotion to the Eucharist. So that was one of the things he did was build a website, but, but regardless um, thousands of Eucharistic miracles and they actually are human tissue. And there's, it, it, and it's not only human tissue, it's the tissue of a human heart. Yeah. Uh, when the Eucharist, if, if you haven't read about these, basically the priest may be offering mass or something. And then all of a sudden the host will just like start bleeding or like there's some like shocking thing that happens. And then they, um, you know, obviously in the past, there was no way to scientifically verify it, but it was clear that it was not bread and wine anymore. It was literally like yeah. human tissue and people would come flocking to like witness this, but it was it was it was a miraculous and like the eucharistic miracle of lanciano is is one of the most profound because it's still there <laughs> it's that human tissue is still there and you can literally go and witness it and they've done studies on it or tests and it is a human heart of a middle of, of a, a middle eastern jew from the first century like <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's mind-blowing and it's it and then just to add for the doubting thomases who we are all right. I mean, I think about the amount of times and I cringe at the amount of times or shudder, whatever of, of me not reflecting enough and not uh, working 
uh, and struggling enough with the teachings of the Eucharist to, to always receive Christ, you know, in the right state of mind and with the right amount of love. But if we go to that miracle that you're talking about, Don Lanciano, um, I think it's important to note that it's a bunch of secular scientists, non-Catholic scientists, uh, that in the 1970s, actually, and we're talking some like a thousand years later, right? It was, it was, I think in I can eighth, seventh or eighth century. I know it was a bazillion monk. Um, but nevertheless, fast forward to today, uh, it, it wasn't the science of the eighth century or of the ninth century, you know, because I know a lot of people can chalk it up as like, well, they just didn't know what we know now. But we're talking all the way up to present day. And then the one funny thing about this miracle that I like to mention is that it was the um, the World Health Organization who that uh, is definitely not supportive of Catholicism, if you know anything about who and uh and they were actually the ones in the mid 70s after this scientist in Italy um, went through his study that they themselves threw some scientists at it and went through a 15 month study of this Eucharist and came um, and came up with the exact same findings that um, for I, I there's a list of those findings. I don't have it in front of me, but you should take a look at it. But I remember one of those findings is that it is impossible with modern means to recreate that flesh uh, tissue from the heart uh, in that manner. Uh, like basically they could not, it was scientifically, they are scientifically incapable with modern instruments to recreate that um, heart from like you or me, from like a normal uh, person. They could not, if we died, cut mm -hmm. us open and, and, and dissect it in that manner. And then, uh, yes, the heart tissue and, um, and again, a lot of atheist uh, scientists and stuff like that, likewise, uh, in their final findings, just stating that this is uh, un unknown, you know, um, I can't remember, you know, they'll never say that this is a miracle, but basically that it, it's something that is, it has, uh, lacks uh, scientific um, explanation and, you know, things of that yes. nature. So yeah. really amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. And, and you know, they're, they're still happening. That's the miraculous thing is that they're still happening. Um, you know, I, there was one in Poland recently, mm. which talk about defying, you know, scientific explanation that like half of the host is still bread and wine. And then like halfway through it, like transforms into mm. heart tissue. <laughs> like wow. what on earth? Like that is that's impossible. Like even if you have a cadaver or something, that's literally impossible to replicate. Like. It is, it is clearly a miraculous thing, wow. and, and and so they're still happening. They're still happening all over the world. Obviously, the media is not going to pay attention to them because they're not, they have no interest in validating Catholicism. But but uh, there's still Eucharistic miracles to kind of help our unbelief. You know, uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, Amen. like that's kind of that's kind of where we are. And Saint Thomas Aquinas, one of the greatest philosophers and theologians in church history you know, wrote a hymn, you know, where it's like the senses fail. Like I, we have to rely on faith because we can't always validate it with our senses. We can't like those miracles are exceptions. Um, but that's where faith comes in and where it helps us kind of cross that divide between what our frail reason can comprehend and, you know, these divine mysteries. So, yeah. Um, and but, I think, uh, I yeah, God in his mercy has given us these miracles. 
praise be to God. And I agree with you very much. And that's exactly what I wanted to say was just, you know, thanks be to God that we have these, like learn about the, the miracle of the sun, our uh, lady of Guadalupe, like God gives us these miracles and we can ignore them or we can, um, work around them. But if you're looking at the scientist and not trying to rely on your own unbelief, you know, you'll, um, you'll be amazed. And, and I also, another thing just popped in my head, other miracles to look into are people who lived on the Eucharist alone, not like yes. yeah. receiving our Lord a dozen times a day, but like once a day. And we have stories of individuals of, uh, you know, St. Catherine of Siena or St. Joseph Cupertino. I know for like five years, St. Joseph Cupertino, one a day, uh, lived off of it. I believe there's a name to this that I can't uh, recall, but uh, right, present day, just what Sam was saying, they're still happening. And you can look these things up. Praise be to God for Google that we have this opportunity or DuckDuckGo if you prefer. Um, but you can look these things up <laughs> and... Um, and like uh, a more recent one was Alexandria um, of, of Costa, where I remember it, science also, scientists also came to review this, this blessed um, uh, young woman. She um, was a horrible thing happened in her life where uh, she was uh, guys, uh, thieves and, and robbers came into their house and uh, she jumped out the second floor window, I believe, and, and damaged her spine permanently and was bedridden um, for the rest of her life. And she had a lot of locutions and, and revelations. And she, for 13 years, lived on the Eucharist, one Eucharist a day for 13 years. And scientists came and stayed with her for multiple days to prove the, you know, uh, the authenticity of this situation. And we, so we have those, those sort of miracles, miracles um, as, as, well. as well. Yeah, Therese Newman is another one in Germany during World War II, mm. who was another one who, who lived off of only the Eucharist. And, and I guess what is the point of all of this? I mean, is it just, uh, you know, cool stuff? Or, but what it really does is it validates church teaching. Um, and it also reminds us that the Eucharist is a means of grace. Now, we use terms like, means of grace and it's just like okay what does that even mean like we hear it so often that it kind of loses its potency but what it's really saying is like there's a divine energy there's a divine life that's flowing into us physically spiritually in every way every time we receive the eucharist mm -hmm. it's not just uh uh you know in the modern neutered sense of the word symbol yeah. i mean the ancient meaning is much different but then you know in the modern sense of oh it's just a symbol doesn't mean anything you know and and um it's much more than that i guess what these these miracles these these miraculous saints who who kind of received the eucharist and were sustained only by that what they're showing us is that there is a divine life and energy that is flowing through that channel of the eucharist into our life into our being and it is transformative if we allow it to uh to be and it, it much of it has to do with how we receive it though i mean yeah. are we receiving it just kind of this mechanical like and, and i know people say well i'm a traditional catholic or you know i i believe all the right things about uh the faith but um at the same time like that doesn't mean that you're receiving it in the right way. Like just having the head knowledge. Yeah. Well, I, I believe it's like, there has to be a true heart devotion that receives that uh, profoundly. 
So Amen. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, let's do that. I was just thinking, so there's a couple of things for men and we're all in different walks of life, but understanding that the Eucharist is the sacrament of love is something that is worth reflecting on. So what do I mean by that? Is that if God is love, as it says in scripture, and we know Christ is God fully present in the Eucharist, therefore the Eucharist is the sacrament of love. And I remember reading, I can't remember which saint, but I remember a saint talking about that, like 100% of the love that has ever been experienced or given in the entire history of mankind is maintained within a single host. And that is something worth reflecting on right before you go receive Jesus. <laughs> and um, and so I talk about this. I, I use a quote from St. Peter Julian Amard here where he says, the Eucharist is the supreme proof of the love of Jesus. After this, there is nothing more but heaven itself. And I think that's such a beautiful thing for us to reflect on. Now, you might say, um, I don't feel like, you know, I love the Eucharist and, and, you know, we're real clear here that, you know, love is not a feeling, right? It's, it's an act of the will and, and it's something that we choose. And so I'd like to just suggest, um, so very often our outward sign reflects our inward devotion, but I think that it also helps if our, uh, inward devotion is not quite there to put ourselves and our outward signs in that position, right? So that's one of the primary um, reasons um, that I make sure I wear a suit when I go to mass and when I go to um, see Jesus is um, that I want, I want to show, I think about when I was pursuing my wife and really trying to, obviously before she was my wife and trying to court her and everything, I, I, I put on my best. Like I was shaven. I was the combed hair. I made sure that I wasn't slovenly and that I, I showed her that respect and that dignity so that she um, would hopefully fall in love with me. <laughs> and, uh, and there's something similar, but, you know, on a spiritual level and, and physical incarnate here uh, that we can do within the Eucharist. I know my mind just went all over the place, but the sacrament of love is what we're capable of receiving each Sunday, or if you go more frequently than that. Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me of, uh, this is my body broken for you. I mean, the condescension of God, I mean, God is almighty. God is holy, uh, morally pure. Like he is the good, like there's so many things that could be said about what God is and what we are not, you know, mm -hmm. and the angels veil their face before him. And there's just like this tremendous intensity to the holiness of God. And yet, and yet God does not wait for us to kind of climb the ladder of being up to where he is. He comes down to us. Um, and I think that's what, what the saint you quoted was getting at was there's a tremendous humility and condescension in God and that he humbles himself into this frail host, you know, yeah. that is, so easily despised or so easily ignored or so easily trampled on or whatever human beings aren't worthy of it. We really aren't. Yeah. Um, and yet that doesn't stop Christ from coming to us every day in the Eucharist and abiding with us always and continually giving himself despite all of the, you know, grievous disrespect that he receives in return some, so many times um, and it is the, why the heart, like why heart tissue, whenever there's a Eucharistic miracle, why heart tissue? Mm -hmm. It is because the heart is the center of the human being. It is where love flows from. Um, and, 
that's what he's trying to communicate to us. This is my heart. This is the most vulnerable center of my being that I am giving to you. Um, and it, you know, the heart of Jesus was pierced on the cross. Uh, blood and water flowed from it, but it was it was healing. It was it was uh, healing for all of humanity. And I think if we can see the heart of Jesus as the love that overcomes death, the love that transforms death into life. It can be a profound thing. Now, I know this episode won't be released uh, on today, but today is the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Yeah, thanks be to God. And today, uh, Roe versus Wade was overturned. And and what a beautiful gift to mm. demonstrate the love of God that overcomes death uh, on the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Um, so I think Amen, Sam. No, I think it really is. And I'm grateful for you bringing that up. And... Um, yeah, there's not much more that I can add. I think that's a good reflection for myself and, and for others and a good reminder, right, that we all need these things and we all need to, to struggle or to just rest in, in those truths and, um, and better understand them. So uh, wonderful. So I, I would say um, with uh, the time we have left, uh, it's worth talking about, you know, ways, again, that men can grow and appreciation, love, and respect, and um, a full life of the Eucharist. And so when thinking about living the Eucharist, there is adoration. And I think that is such a beautiful thing. Um, I love, uh, you know, I love to mention Fulton Sheen and his love of daily um, adoration. Thanks be to God. He There's the story where he was um, decided to wake up early to go and prepare for, um, I think he was in seminary and he woke up early and he was um, going to the chapel just to get his head straight and prepare with um, for the, the day. And he was pacing, the chapel was locked. And so he was pacing outside of it. And, um, and then it just dawned on him while he was pacing, waiting for it to be open of, why don't I do an hour of adoration daily? You know, when Christ said in the garden before his passion, during his passion at the beginning, um, that uh, you can't even spend an hour with me, right? And and Fulton Sheen took that choice to, to spend that hour with him. And I know I've heard him say that when people asked him, so for 60 years or so, uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen would go to adoration every single day for one hour. And there's such orders as the Franciscan Friars, the Renewal, or the Sisters of Charity, and I'm sure a lot of other ones that go, and it's part of their rule now that it's an hour a day in front of adoration and in front of Christ and present in the Eucharist, just being with him, just as we are with friends or with loved ones. But I know when Fulton Sheen was asked, is it, um, is it a burden? And Fulton Sheen said um, to the person who asked him that question, you know, um, the Eucharist is never been, it's been difficult and it's been a struggle at times, you know, skipping a party, waking up early to make sure that I can get there. He's like, but it's never been a burden. It's always been a joy. And I think that's such a statement for us to, to have. Um, and I encourage our listeners to, to try and pick a day of the week where you can go to adoration um, and maybe God's calling you to that devotion. Yeah. And I mean, it's so amazing, like that we have that privilege, you know, I think it's not like I have to go to adoration. It's like, I get to go to adoration, mm. you know, and, 
And, um, you know, I think of, uh, you know, I can't remember if it was John Paul II or maybe another Pope, but who said that they would like, they'd be tired after a long day of being the Pope and they would just like fall asleep. And I just remember thinking like, like what a beautiful thing to just fall asleep in Christ's presence. Like it doesn't have to be this, you know, uh, like, you know, we're, we're prostrate, you know, for an hour or like Jesus said to his disciples, you know, I call you my friends. Like that, that's not what God says, you know, and they were even thinking like, you know, uh, a messianic King, like what kind of King says, like, you're my friends. Like, that's just yeah. kind of weird. And, but that's what Christ does for us is he says that we are his friends. And so just that presence is, is not meant to be intimidating. It's, it's, it's the presence of love. And the other thing I was going to say was you think about all the characters in the gospel that came to Jesus, like almost every chapter in the gospels, there's like somebody coming to Jesus in dire straits of some kind. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, my son is sick. My, you know, I'm, I need to be healed of my blindness. I'm lame. I can't walk. Like, and they're just the desperation. They're like calling out to him, like son of David, have mercy on me. And yeah. like just that loud insistence. And like, we read those passages and just think, oh man, if Jesus were here today, how many problems would I bring to him? You know? And like, and you can, like, you, can yeah. you can go see him, you know, uh, down the, down the street at your local adoration chapel, like, like do it. Um, yeah. He's no less there than he, he was in Israel 2000 years ago. Um, and last thing I'll say is people say, God is everywhere. Why do we need, why do we need an adoration chapel? Why do we need to go sit in an adoration chapel? I can pray to him anywhere in my car or wherever. Well, it's kind of like, uh, there's water in the atmosphere. It's very humid here in Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> there's lots of water in the atmosphere. Uh, and yet when, when you're thirsty, you still go to the spring, like, or you still go and get a glass of water. Like we need those tangible centers uh, those anchor points, those centers of gravity that we can go to and see Jesus and be in his presence. Yes, we're always in God's presence, but we know less need the Eucharist because of that. Yeah, thanks be to God. And I'll just add and a minor correction of, of myself um, is that it doesn't have to be an hour, right? I know I brought that up and was thinking of hour of adoration, but something Sam said just spurred me when I think about Maximilian Kolbe, right? They, he said that he used to, I mean, minimum of 10 times a day, he would just stop by, bounce in for five minutes and just say, you know, Jesus me, you know, I need your help. Uh, I'm going to put this at, at your feet, you know, this stress. And we've got saints throughout history from St. John Chrysostom, like way back in the day in the early centuries, um, where, you know, he, on the way to and from school, uh, there was a church and he would stop. And so it'd be like four times a day, he would stop, you know, and it, it was never for an hour. It was always just to, to, to bob in and say, hi, St. Teresa of Lisieux, you know, there's those stories of her playing in the playground and her quickly zipping and, and going in and just reminding Jesus that she knows he's there and that she is in love with him and, and trying to grow in that holiness. So. And just make it simple. Like St. John Vianney, I love that story of like the farmer who came into his chapel and he would just sit there and then he would get up and walk away. And one day St. John Vianney's like, so what do you do? What are you praying? What are you saying? He's like, I don't do anything. He's like, I look at him and he looks at me <laughs> and that's it. And like, it doesn't have to be like, you know, all these like uh, complicated devotions and like, just sit in his presence. Like that's all you have to do. Like it doesn't, don't overcomplicate it. Uh, you know, it, so let the spirit lead in that regard, but, but um, it doesn't have to be complicated. The most simple uneducated person can just look at him and he can look back and, 
And that's a beautiful thing. Amen. So the last two points that we wanted to talk about is your prayer life and how you are um, entering into your prayer. So the first one that I'm just going to inform our listeners about, I didn't know about this until like maybe 10, 12 years ago. Um, and it's the idea of, of daily, frequently throughout the day, spiritual communions, right? So when we can't actually receive Christ physically, you can go through the prayer. Uh, I would say, I mean, for if there is benefits to COVID, one of the things is, is people started being made aware of spiritual communions, right? And, uh, and you'd see them all the time. And when churches were closed, where you can say, my Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament of the altar throughout the world. I love you above all things. And since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. You rest for a moment. You think about letting him into your heart. It says, I brace you as if you were already there. Please unite myself holy to you. Never permit to be separated from you. That's a very famous church, uh, spiritual communion prayer. Um, practice that. I've, I find so much peace when I actually commit to that three, four times a day, it brings me so much peace. And I would say that that also builds up that yearning to receive Christ physically. And so when you're practicing that spiritual communion throughout the day, it makes your, just like a nightly exam makes your confessions all the more fruitful. We get what we put in. When you practice those spiritual communions, you really believe them. Um, then you start going to receive Christ physically and it just transforms the heart and the mind um, uh, to a deeper love for Christ. Absolutely. Yes. And, and, and to your point about, uh, kind of an intentionality there, preparing yourself to receive the Eucharist. Um, you know, like all the things we're talking about on this episode, listeners may have heard at some point, maybe they intellectually know them, maybe not, but, but you know, there may be some awareness of these truths, but we need constant reminders and we have to constantly call them to mind because it's so easy to let your heart go cold, to just, you know, take it for granted you know, this is just what we do, you know, and, and, you know, maybe we're more or less traditional or whatever, but, you know, like I genuflect and like I, I receive kneeling and on the tongue and all of these things. And yet you can still do all of that mechanically. Like, so it's, it's very important to, when you're about to receive communion, to call to mind what is happening and uh, stir up those kind of those coals of devotion that are, you know, in your heart and, and, um, and receive Christ with, with kind of intensity and fervor, if you will. Amen. And the final thing that I'll say, just finishing the last one and preparing for your communion, actually receiving him. And unfortunately we only got a couple minutes, but, uh, there's no better way to enter into communion than with our lady. And so I think of uh, St. Gemma, how beautiful it is to receive communion with the mother of paradise. Uh, the best preparation for Holy Communion is that which is made with Mary, St. Peter, Julian, Amard, uh, St. Louis de Montfort. I'll put this in the show notes. He had a, a formula to go through of accepting our lady, understanding our own worthy unworthiness uh, before we see Christ in the Eucharist. I can't suggest that enough. Like if you get anything from this episode, it's talk to our lady to let her transform you, let Christ be received through her into you as he was first in this world. Um, and then, and um, obviously some post-communion prayers and things that I devote to, but I just wanted to make sure that we yeah. had a moment to talk about Our Lady. Well, and we think too that we're receiving the body of Christ, right? And where did the body of Christ come from? There was no physical, biological father. And, and so all of that, that physical body that Christ had came from Mary. And so there's mm -hmm. like a unique union with Mary physically 
That happens in a, in a kind of mysterious way. So she is part of that sacrament. Um, invite her to receive Christ in your heart and Christ be received by your mother in my heart, you know, and, and um, that just um, makes that experience so much more profound. So. Thanks be to God. So we'll put a lot of this in the show notes. Um, as some post-communion prayers, a lot of people like to say the Animal Christi. There's St. Thomas Aquinas, which I do. I have in my um, in my uh, wallet with me at all times. And um, just different ways of, of transforming our lives to, to live, to, to know, to love, and to live Christ fully present in the Holy Sacrament of the altar in the Eucharist. So... Yes, and as we end every episode, be a man, be a saint.